morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 20? It's the same chapter as last week, and we're actually going to look at the same question as last week, which is a first in this series. But although it is the same question, and it's the same chapter, the verses are different, the people involved are different, plus the way Jesus responds and reacts to the question this week is also very different. The question is actually one of Jesus' favorite questions that he asks, because throughout the Gospels you come across this question on more than one occasion. But before we hear it, and before we read today's text and story, I wonder how many people can remember this song from the 1980s and who sang it. Right, who can remember who sang Kiri Eleison? Sorry? Wasn't John Part? No. Anyone else? Are we getting some other interference in here? <laughs> Somebody's commenting in there, but that's all right. Nobody knows who sang that. Yes? Mr. Mr. Andrew Rollins, very impressive. Very impressive. Now, here's the question. Does anybody know what Kiri Eleison means? Yeah? Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on me. And, and that phrase, some of you will know this, that phrase is repeated and it is used in a number of Christian traditions and liturgies on a regular basis. So for example, those of you who are maybe from an Anglican background or still part of an Anglican church, you will know that morning and evening prayer from the Book of Common Prayer includes Kiri eleison, Lord, have mercy. This band, Mr. and Mr. that sang this, don't claim or never did claim to be Christians, but they, they sang this song, Kyrie Eleison, Lord have mercy down the road that I must travel. Here at Windsor, we sometimes sing Kyrie Eleison, Have Mercy by Stuart Townend and Keith Getty. Here's the lyrics that we sometimes use. Kyrie Eleison, Have Mercy, mercy. Christi Eleison, Have Mercy. As we come before you with the needs of our world, we confess our failures and our sin. For our words are many, yet our deeds have been few. Fan the fire of compassion once again. We sing that sometimes here at Windsor. Kyrie 
a liaison, Lord, have mercy. It's, it's quite possibly one of the most important cries of every human heart. And this morning we're about to hear it expressed by two people who recognized their need of mercy, only they didn't just say it once, they repeated it, and second time around they turned up the volume. So please, as we often do at Windsor, let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word. If you have a copy of the Bible, great. If you're standing near someone who has a copy, great. I know we don't have pew Bibles, so can I really encourage people, uh, if you can, just to kind of bring Bibles on Sunday mornings, it'll make life a lot easier for me. Uh, but let, let's read these verses together. Matthew 20, starting at 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. Take a seat. Jesus and his disciples are on a journey. They're about a day's walk from Jerusalem by the stage. The distance from Jericho to the capital is 15 miles. It's about a day's walk. And as Jesus makes his way towards his destiny, we read in verse 29 that a large crowd followed him. Most of these people were totally unaware of what lay ahead. And even when they did discover what lay ahead, many of them did a runner and bailed out. But as Jesus walks along, there are two blind men, it says, who are by the side of the road, and they try to grab the attention of Jesus by shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And it's a fascinating cry, not just because of what they ask for, but also the way they address Jesus, and specifically the use of this title, son of David. Because this is an explicit reference and description of Jesus as Messiah. 11 chapters back from chapter 20. Jesus is called son of David for the very first time. And that is a declaration and a confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And that is a reference to the promise of a messianic deliverer who would come. And that promise dates back as far as 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so back in Matthew chapter 9, somebody calls out Jesus, son of David. And immediately people are going, hold on, that's an explicit reference to the Messiah. But on that occasion, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, listen, don't tell anyone. Keep that under wraps. If you fast forward to Matthew chapter 16 and we looked at this, you come to Peter's big, bold, bang on the money confession. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asked. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, said Peter. You're the son of the living God. And again, Jesus said, yes, you're blessed, Peter, for saying that, but don't tell anyone else. But as it turns out, some people clearly didn't take that instruction to heart. Because here are two blind men 
sitting by the side of the road between Jericho and Jerusalem who are shouting and publicly declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the son of David. Somebody had obviously ignored the instructions to keep it quiet and had told these two men who Jesus was. And you know something? They believed it, or at least they were willing to take a risk that it just might be true. And you see, that's the way it works. Someone tells someone else about Jesus, and then one day they meet him for, their, meet him for themselves. Do you know, that's why shine is happening at the end of July in this school. Because we want to tell someone about Jesus so that they can meet them for themselves. That's why the Spain team went to Barcelona a couple of weeks ago. They wanted to go and tell someone about Jesus so that they could meet him for themselves. That's why there are people in South Africa this morning, in Portugal, in Salou, in Port Stewart, in Port Ballantrae, because they're out there telling someone about Jesus so that one day they might meet Jesus for themselves. You see, whatever else is going on in this incident, somebody told these two blind men about Jesus before they actually met him. And that's still the way it works. And so the question I want to ask myself this morning, I want to ask you this morning is, who are you currently speaking to about Jesus? Who have you told this week about Jesus? Who have you told this week about Jesus? By the way, just before we, we kind of leave this point, it's interesting how on this occasion, Jesus doesn't warn them to be quiet. Jesus doesn't say to keep this under wraps any longer. And the reason probably is it's too late now because a day's walk from here and everyone's gonna know. But back to the roadside, the two men shout, but the crowd of Jesus' followers tell him to shut up. Shut up. In fact, it's, it's worse than that. They rebuke the two blind men. But these two blind men aren't going to back down. They're not going to pipe down that easy. They need mercy. They want mercy. And so they shout all the louder, Kyrie lays on Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And a couple of questions just to think about. I wonder, did Jesus hear them the first time? Or was it only when they repeated themselves and turned up the volume that Jesus actually heard their cry? I don't know. Here's a second interesting question. I also wonder, does this illustrate how sometimes followers of Jesus can be more of a hindrance than a help when it comes to getting people to Jesus? You see, if the blind men had kept quiet when they were told to by the Jesus followers, would they have missed meeting Jesus for themselves? I don't know. But we read that after the second shout, the louder shout, that Jesus stopped. And he asked a question. That question, one of his favorite questions in the whole, all of the Gospels. What do you want me to do for you? It's almost the identical question that he asked James and John's mom, if you were here last week, or really to James and John in verse 21. What is it? you want. It's one of Jesus' favorite questions. What do you want me to do for you? Do you know why it's one of Jesus' favorite questions? Takes us back to last week again. To verse 26, 28 in particular. 
Because do you know what this question is? This is the servant's question. This is the question that a real servant, a real servant leader asks. Not, do you, not what do I want you to do for me? What do you want me to do for you? It's an entirely different question from the norm. It's the question a servant asks. You see, whenever Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve, he meant it. He lived it. This was his heart. Jesus' heart was to live beyond himself, to give himself, to give off himself for the benefit of others. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? That's my heart. That's my heart. It still is. It still is. And so Jesus comes to each of us this morning and says, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? It's not about what he wants us to do for him. It's not about that. It's what, he wants, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Servant's question. Now, some people might think it's a relatively stupid question for Jesus to ask here, especially to ask two blind men. Surely the answer is obvious. They're going to ask for their sight back, and that's exactly what they did ask for. But you know, Jesus doesn't assume anything. And maybe more importantly, Jesus doesn't want to define these blind men by their disability. Tell me what you want, not what everybody else probably thinks you want. Yes, it is what you've asked for, but let me say, tell me what you want. I'm not going to assume anything, and Jesus doesn't assume anything. You see, their initial and ultimate cry is for what? It's for mercy. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to Jesus for love and compassion. Our hearts are open to you, Jesus. We recognize, these two blind men recognize their need of the Messiah. There's no sense in these two blind men of self-sufficiency or superiority. They know they need the mercy of Christ. Now, not because they think they deserve it. I mean, everybody else around them has told them they deserve nothing but because they see in Jesus, or rather sense in Jesus, acceptance and welcome and love and mercy, not getting what we deserve, not being left at the side of the road, not being left excluded from a relationship with Jesus. Kiri eleison, Lord, have mercy on us, and there is no greater cry or prayer or petition that we will ever offer. We need, every single one of us needs and desperately needs the mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus, because without it, we will be left staring into the darkness. The darkness caused by our sin, which means that we deserve to remain separated and alienated and disconnected from God forever. We deserve to remain under his wrath because that's what sin deserves. But as a result of this, as a result of Jesus who, as one Bible writer says, became sin, not for for us. He became sin for us. And therefore, what do we receive? 
Mercy. Mercy. Kyrian eleison. The most important cry of every human being. But back to the roadside, the servant's question has been asked, what do you want me to do for you? And they answer, we want our sight, we want to see. And then look at verse 34. Look at how Matthew tells us Jesus responds, and note the sharp and stinging contrast between the response of Jesus and the response of the crowds. What do the crowds do? Silence him, rebuke them. What does Jesus do? Jesus had compassion on them. Do you know what that means? Literally means his guts wrenched. Jesus was torn up inside. Jesus is deeply moved and actively loves them. He doesn't just feel sorry for them. He doesn't just have pity on them, which we often think is what compassion's about. No, he reaches out and touches them. Because you see, the definition of compassion is love in action. It's love activated. And immediately it says, as Jesus has compassion, doesn't just feel sorry, doesn't just have pity, but reaches out and touches them. Immediately they receive their sight. And he opens their eyes. And you see, for many people in this moment, and we may miss this part of it, But for many people who were at the side of the road that day, this incident, this miracle, if you like, further clarified the identity of Jesus. Because whenever the Old Testament prophets spoke about the coming Messiah, one of the things that every single Old Testament prophet said of the coming Messiah that he would do was restore sight. So for example, Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. And as Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem, he literally does this. Two blind men can physically see for the first time, but there's a much, much bigger story going on because their spiritual sight is restored. And so it says they start to follow Jesus. Their lives are placed on a whole new trajectory as they set out on a brand new journey. And this is where this incident, this is where the story connects with us because the Bible makes it really clear, crystal clear, explicit, that every single human being walks in darkness because of sin. Plus, The God of this age has blinded the mind of every unbeliever from being able to see Jesus. But the gospel message declares that Jesus still comes to us wherever we are, wherever we're at, and wherever we're at, and Jesus still asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And do you know something? If our answer echoes the answers of the two blind men, Kiri Eleison, Lord, have mercy. I want to see. Then our lives are realigned and are reset and are reordered and are restructured and are reborn. But you've got to want this. You've got to know you need it. And there might still be people who will be intent on criticizing you and will be intent on telling you to keep quiet. 
But like these two blind men, you've got to want mercy. You've got to be prepared to cry from the bottom of your heart, Kiri, eleison, Lord, have mercy on me. I want to save. I want to go from darkness to light. From despair to hope. From condemned to forgiven. From hell to heaven. From death to life. From slavery to freedom. Kiri, allays on the cry of my heart, God, Lord, have mercy and need to save. And many people here have expressed that prayer. And therefore, we're going to finish by singing the, the second verse and chorus only of the song, Thank You for Saving Me. Because the second verse of this song, and that's all we're going to sing, just the second verse in the chorus. The second verse of this song says, Mercy and grace are mine. Not because of anything I have done. Not because of anything any one of us here can do, but because Jesus came to every single one of us and still comes to every single one of us and says, what do you want me to do for you? And one of the greatest things that Jesus has done for us already is he has become sin for us. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to sing, Mercy and grace are mine, forgiven is my sin. Jesus, my only hope, the Savior of the world. Sing it like you've never sung it before, if you have cried, Kyrie eleison. Or maybe this morning as we stand together, you need to cry, Kyrie eleison, afresh. Or maybe you even need to cry it for the very first time. And in some ways, all of us need to cry it on behalf of this nation and on behalf of our world. Kyrie eleison, Lord, will you have mercy on us, we pray. Let's stand again.